But we're going to continue with our little look at uh, the preparations that God made for this for his first Christmas. And uh, we saw that uh, his preparations began before the foundation of the world. And, um, and it's continued through time, right up until the time of uh, Mary, the Virgin. And if you remember last Thursday, we looked at the seed. Uh, the first promise that we had was, was found in Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord promised Satan that his comeuppance was at hand because he was sending his son uh, to bruise his head. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, we looked at the time and the place. We, went, we, uh, we looked to see what, uh, where he was going to be born. And, uh, of course, we saw where. You know, from uh, Micah, we saw that it would be in Bethlehem of Judea. And we also saw the time, which had to be before the rod passed away from Judah and before the temple uh, was destroyed. And so uh, it had that little little frame, time frame that was. And of course, that also coincided with the fact that uh, Caesar Augustus had um, called a, a tax which uh, brought. Mary and Joseph from the north of Israel right down to Bethlehem just as we saw in that quote in the nick of time and now tonight we're going to look at obviously another thing that we do when we prepare for a child to come is think of names what are we going to name the child and uh, I think that's uh, important for us uh, especially when we are looking at this person that we know as our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, and of course, we do, we arm ourselves with names. Uh, we choose. Right? I think I've told you before that uh, Pauline said to me, if it's a girl, you can choose. And if it's a boy, I'll choose. So obviously she knew something. She knew what was going on. You know, and uh, so, but, but so in this preparation... Uh, that God made for his first Christmas, it should be of no surprise to us that he had the name worked out. Mm. You know, we didn't think, what am I going to call him now that he's here? No, we can see from the, the Old Testament that it wasn't when the midwife cried out, it's a boy, God started to think about a name. The name was set before eternity. You know, and I guess he knew that it was going to be a boy because we saw that last week, that it would be the seed, he would be the seed of the woman, and he would bruise Satan's head. So we can see that it's a boy, and therefore a boy's name was given way back in the preparation stages. You know, when we read the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke, both parents were told the name. Joseph, it says, was told that his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. While Mary was told that his name would be called Jesus, and that he will be great and be called the Son of the Highest. Now, of course, we've uh, chosen uh, the, um, our, we chose our baby's name early on in the, in the pregnancy. Of course, that's um, not so uncommon today because we know the sex today. 
you know, I'm going to wait until mm. he, he's there or she's there and we cry out you've got a beautiful baby girl mm. Mrs. Jones or Mrs. Gregory no we knew that because we had the scan six months ago not awful I like the surprise of it all didn't you Rog? yes then you know, and it, uh, today they have baby naming uh, showers or something you know and uh, they, press a, they put a pin in a balloon and out comes blue stuff it's going to be a boy. And uh, mind you, that's getting... We well, don't want to go down that road tonight. But uh, can you imagine naming the baby 800 years before it's born? Can you imagine naming the baby 2,000 years before it's born? That's what God did. He's gave us his name over many many years centuries in fact before he was born now today it's quite fashionable uh, to call Jesus by his Hebrew name Yeshua you know and um, I wonder sometimes if people think that using this Hebrew word carries more weight with God more pull oh, they, they talking in our language uh, and you know none of this Jesus Yeshua you notice that uh, an awful lot of the big ministers they use the word Yeshua because perhaps it is a little bit more powerful I don't believe that of course you know but having said that the Old Testament does actually mention this name on quite a number of occasions and the, the more mind you having asked the question while I spoke on Sunday um, I'm not very confident about this but we've already looked at the word Yeshua in our prophecy studies if you remember uh, in Psalm 2 I said that his name was actually written there uh, in, uh, in the Psalm in fact it's written 100 times in the Old Testament the word Yeshua means salvation of course you know, in Psalm 9 verse 14 says I will rejoice in your salvation well let's be naughty and put the word Yeshua every time we see the word salvation because you can do that because that's the word that's there I will rejoice in Yeshua that's what that would say and a, and a passage that is so much a, parable, by a parallel is found in Isaiah chapter 25 he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day behold this is our God we have waited for him and he will save us this is the Lord we have waited for him we will be glad and rejoice in Yeshua you know, and when you look at that verse in Isaiah 25 or those verses there is so much of Jesus in that verse listen to it he will swallow up death forever and that's what he's done that's exactly what he's done what did, the, what did Hebrew say? he came and tasted death for all of us instead of you and I tasting death Christ tasted death for all of us then goes on to say and God will wipe away tears from all their faces that's what he's done the joy of the Lord is our strength he's wiped away and he will wipe away the tears of the saints for the whole of eternity 
That's what Jesus did. The rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth. That's what he's done. That's what he's done. This um, judgment that has been upon us because of our sins, Yeshua has sorted it out. He's taken care of it. That's why the angel could say to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall uh, take away, or he shall deal with the sins of his people. You know, and of course, he saves us. That's what he's done. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from hell. He saves us all the time. And now we will be glad and rejoice in Yeshua. And that's what we do in tonight. That's exactly what we do in tonight. We are rejoicing in Jesus Christ. In Yeshua. So that verse from Isaiah 25 is all about Jesus. It's the gospel in a nutshell. And right there at the very end is this person we know as Yeshua. So he has done so much. And the whole of the Christmas announcement is bound up in those words. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. You know, and of course we can also hear the proclamation of Simeon. Um, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I know that he, that's written in Greek in our New Testament. But I'm sure, I'm very, very sure that when that was spoken, Simeon spoke it in Hebrew or in Aramaic because that was his language he was an old man waiting to die, waiting for the Lord to come so he could go Mm. and um, I'm sure that when he said those words the word Yeshua would have been on his lips so when you think about that we can go back to the Psalms with David we can go back to the prophecy with Isaiah we can go back to the angel Gabriel And we can go back to one of the last people in the Old Testament, Simeon, and realize that all of them talked about Yeshua. They talked about the salvation of God. So they all had Yeshua on their lips. Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely amazing. You know that Jesus was the fulfillment and the embodiment and the personification of God's salvation is so plain to see. Especially when we hear that great declaration of Jesus on that last day, that great day of the feast when he stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you might ask yourself, well, Scripture, what Scripture? What Scripture is that? Where does that come from? That he will, um, he will go give water to those who are thirsty. And we go back to Isaiah. He says in Isaiah, Behold, God is my salvation, my Yeshua. Um, I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, Yah the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has also become my Yeshua. Therefore, with joy, will I draw waters from the wells of salvation. 
there's the verse Jesus says if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink and he who believes in me as the scripture says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and then Isaiah says this is Jesus behold God is my Yeshua I will trust and not be afraid for Yah the Lord is my strength and song and he is also my Yeshua therefore with joy shall you draw water mm. from the wells of salvation you know, for, you know what did he say to the woman at the well uh, I will give you water and you will never thirst again and there it is Isaiah chapter 12 no other name but the name of Jesus no other name but the name of the Lord no other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of power and worthy of praise now that is how we know him you know if I was to say who is your savior tonight immediately you will say it's Jesus there's no sort of ambiguity there's no question in our minds it's Jesus or in the Old Testament it's Yeshua you know well of course we know don't we that even demons flee from the, from the name of Jesus captives are freed in the name of Jesus we know that every knee will bow in the name of Jesus that every tongue will confess in the name of Jesus that's amazing we are here tonight to worship Jesus now the world doesn't like Jesus you know, and even when you listen to people talking on the television, they, you know, like Songs of Praise. Songs of Praise is a great program. But God, we use the word God. And I think sometimes, why don't you use the word Jesus? You know, why don't you tell me how much you know Him and love Him and worship Him and realize that He's our, he's our God. I get quite disappointed sometimes when I hear people giving their testimony and only saying God. Not that that's wrong. It's not wrong. But I love people talking about Jesus. And that's why, because of this. But we know that that's not his only name. I get the feeling that God couldn't make up his mind about the name of Jesus. Uh, because in the scriptures, there are at least 256 of them. So he's, you know, he's edging his bets. He's either edging his bets or he can't make up his mind. Or whenever he sees something, he changes his mind. Oh no, you're not going to call him this. I'm going to call him that. So when you think about it, it's 256 names. So this sermon could go on a bit, you know, if we were to look at, at all of them. But just as uh, the name of Jesus was given to him from of old, which seems to have caught our imagination so much, there is one name that seems to have had little or no impact whatsoever. You know, actually it's special to us because we named our church after it. Mm. You know, and, that's, uh, and again it's Isaiah who tells us this. She shall call his name Emmanuel. Mm. Emmanuel. Now 800 years pass and no one else takes up the strain. No one else. You, you know, and you get to think in when you come to, uh, when you, you, know, you think of Christianity, and no one calls Jesus Emmanuel, and no one has sort of confirmed this. You know, we, we like to get things confirmed, especially when it's prophecy. When somebody prophesies and you think, oh, that's, that's really good. 
I'm going to do that. No, I'll wait. I'll wait until I get it confirmed. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a very um, wise thing to do. You know, you don't go heading off to the to Siberia on uh, on the whim of one prophetic word in the, on a Sunday morning. You'd be a, a fool to do that. Mm-hmm. You want things confirmed. But when we look in the scriptures, we find no confirmation. No one else in the whole of the Old Testament mentions the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You know, and, and 800 years goes past and no one takes up the string. And you get to thinking, well, this is a mistake. Is this a mistake in the text? You know, is it a plan that was shelved? Yeah, we were going to call him so-and-so. Uh, but we changed our mind and called him something else. Is that what, is that what has happened here? Was God going to call him Emmanuel and then changed his mind? Or what? And surely we need someone to come along and at least confirm this to be the name of the Messiah. You know, and we've waited and waited and waited. 800 years have passed and at last, at last, we get a confirmation. A confirmation. You want know, it's the announcing angel again. When he comes, he's, he's told Joseph that, you know, to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. But then, when he had given the message to Joseph, Matthew comments on the situation and refers us back to Isaiah and tells us that the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of it. But again it seems to fall on deaf ears because although the name was prophetically applied to Jesus no one ever used it. No one ever used it. Never once is Jesus ever referred to as Emmanuel. Which is not uncommon. I remember the first time that I went down to visit Joyce. Joyce Sutton. And I went up to the desk and I said I'd like to um, tell me where Joy, which bed Joyce is in. Joyce. And she went down through a list and she said, we haven't got a Joyce yet. We haven't got a... Yeah, I said, she's in ward such and such. You know, the children have been here. They told me where she is. And uh, what's her second name? Joyce Sutton? No. She said, we haven't got a Joyce Sutton yet. we got a Barbara Sutton. And I thought, well, that can't be the same person. You know, Joyce, Barbara... There's a big difference in it between Barbara and Joyce. I haven't made a mistake. We haven't been calling her Joyce all this time when all, all the time her name was Barbara. That's not how it works. But of course we find out later that Barbara is her first name, I think. I'll have to know, I'll have to know that by next, uh, next Thursday. Uh, and of course, she, because officially she goes under the, under the name Barbara. But I've never used it. David used to. You know, call her Bob's. Um, because somehow he found out that the name was Barbara. But uh, very few people use that because everyone knew her as Joyce. So, you know, it's not uncommon. But uh, we can confidently say that Matthew's account makes it plain that Emmanuel and Jesus are one and the same. Now, why is that important? Why is Jesus and Emmanuel the same person? Why is that so important? Well, as the name of Jesus tells us that he is God's salvation, so the word Emmanuel tells us that he is God's son. Or that he is God. 
The word Jesus tells us that he's God's salvation. The word Emmanuel tells us that he's God. You know, I would say that this phrase, this word Emmanuel, God with us, is without doubt one of the clearest expressions of the deity of Jesus found in the whole of the New Testament. Now, what I think is important and what stands out for me about this name is its supernatural flavour. You know, it is used both in Isaiah chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter 1, as I've just said. And both times, he, Emmanuel, is associated with a virgin. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. How supernatural is that? You know, that is out of this world. That is impossible in the natural world. How miraculous can you get? You see, this is no ordinary champion that is coming on the scene of time. You know, and we know, Demi, that history is, is full of champions. Down through the ages, whether in the secular world or indeed in the Christian world, there's always been a champion. Someone who has come and done something absolutely amazing. You know, if he was to go to the, the book of Judges in the Old Testament. You know, when Israel were in their deepest war, God would send a champion. We got Samson, who was a champion. We got Gideon, who was a champion. And we got all these different people who came onto the scene of time as champions and did something absolutely amazing. There's always been a champion. But each measure they put in place seems to be an interim measure. It's never a done deal. You know, if he was to go back to last century, we had two wars to end all wars. Now, how can you have two wars to end all wars? You know, and the, the reason being is because we haven't got the power to deal with war. You know, and you say, this is the war that ends all wars. And then you think, no, it doesn't, because along comes another one. You see, the interim measures are put in place. And... Um, and that's what we find with all the, the champions that have come and gone. They've all put interim. When Gideon came and got rid of the Midianites, it was an interim play, uh, situation. Because 40 years down the line, Israel sinned again. They backslid again. And God sent another invading army to see them through. And another champion had to come. And that has happened all through history. You know, the biggest champion, of course, I suppose, in the Old Testament, was Noah. What a champion he turned out to be. He saved the human race with his own bare hands. You think, wow, this is it. This is the ultimate um, victory. But no, we see that he falls and humanity goes, is in the same position, if not worse now, than it has ever been. But in Christ... We have a supernatural champion. A supernatural champion. Because here is a virgin born champion. Who bears the name of Emmanuel. And he presents us. Not with an interim measure. But a once and for all 
measure. He has delivered us from the power of sin once and for all. He has made peace with God on our behalf once and for all. He has defeated hell, death and the grave once and for all. He has defeated the works of the evil one once and for all. It's not an interim measure anymore. It's a once and for all measure. Excuse me, and if we can cast our minds back to the, the book of Hebrews when we were dealing with the book of Hebrews, that phrase, once and for all, he shed his blood once and for all, he died once and for all. It's a done deal. It's the only thing that we could ever call a done deal because Jesus is the supernatural champion that God has brought on the scene, he is the virgin born champion. A miraculous moment in history has brought eternal salvation to you and to me. You see, if you were to read the Old Testament, deliverance is key to the plan of God. And is the backbone of the scriptures as God deals with the children of Israel. And the whole tenor of the New Testament is one of personal deliverance as God comes and deals with the bondage of sin on behalf of the individual. So there we have it. Emmanuel. God with us. So when you put the two together, our Savior is also our God. And I find that absolutely incredible. And that brings me to my last name that we're able to deal with uh, this evening. And uh, that is probably another one of his most familiar you know, uh, names. I know that some preachers like to go and find the unfamiliar stuff. You know, the, the stuff is hidden under uh, lots and lots of things. But I, you know, these three names present to me everything we need to know. Jesus, the Saviour. Jesus, our God. And of course, Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. That's the third name that I want to look at before we go home tonight. Now, like Emmanuel, the Christ... The word the Christ or the, the words the Christ is more of a title that gives Jesus a position or even a role, a role, not a role, a role. Now if you looked in a concordance, you would find the first reference to this name appears in Matthew chapter 1. And we might be forgiven for thinking that this is a New Testament subject that we are dealing with. You know, the, the word Christ is never mentioned in the Old Testament at all. The word Christ. There's a reason for that, of course, a, a very simple reason. And the word Christ is a Greek word. The, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, so it would never occur. But you know, you would be forgiven for thinking that it's a New Testament subject that we are dealing with. But two verses in the New Testament would inform us that we are actually dealing with Old Testament stuff. You know, I've told you before, and when we, especially when we was in the book of Hebrews, that Christ only did in his life what the blueprint God set out in the Old Testament told him to do. And that's, that's highlighted in the book of Hebrews because when the, the writer to the book of Hebrews kept on taking us back to the Old Testament 
You know, he took us back to Melchizedek, if you remember, because the blueprint of, high, of the high priest that God wants is not the Levitical priesthood, it's the Melchizedek priesthood, it's the eternal priesthood, it's the universal priesthood. You know, the Levitical priesthood was a, um, um, an, a nation priesthood, it was for the children of Israel, it had a beginning and it had an end. But then, we, but the writer to the Hebrews took us way back past there to Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end, and he had no structure. He was universal. You know, with Christ, he has no beginning and no end, and his high priesthood, you know, reaches out to the whole world. Why? Because that's what the Old Testament demands. The blueprint is there, and therefore, everything about Jesus we can glean once we know Him. Once we know him, that's important. Because the Bible, Paul tells us that the Jews have got no idea mm. what the Old Testament is about. Now if he was to talk to a, a Jew, a rabbi, they would be expert in the Old Testament. Mm. But they don't have a clue what it's about. Because Paul says, because they will not accept Jesus as the Messiah... There's a veil over their eyes mm. that al- doesn't allow them to understand what the Old Testament mm. is about. Mm. You know, and if you was to read the Old Testament on, your, on its own, you would think, well, what is this to us? Mm. What is it? It's just an history book. Mm. And a couple of Psalms and wisdom things put in. This has nothing to do with us. But then when you read the New Testament and see who Jesus is, all the time you're being pushed back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament begins to make sense. Mm. And everything about Jesus, we can take from the Old Testament once we know Him. Can you understand that? Once we know Him, we can, under, we can see Him in the Old Testament. And that's what we have here. He is the Christ. And we're not dealing with a, a New Testament thing, we are dealing with an Old Testament thing. Now then, listen to the first time it's mentioned, Herod. He was the one who received the terrible news of the birth of the king of the Jews. You want immediately, if you remember, he gathers together the chief priests and the scribes to inquire of them. Now then, they asked for the king of the Jews. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because we've seen his star in the east, in the east, and we've come to worship him. He calls the chief priests together and this is his question. Where is the Christ to be born? So I think, you know, there's a a knowledge there, isn't it? Where is the Christ to be born? And they replied. They understood what it was all about. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, For you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now we've come to that because of the question of the wise men. Where is he who is to be born, or who is born king of the Jews? And all of a sudden, we've got his title, and we've got his birthplace. So we're talking about the person that the Old Testament has brought to us. This is nothing new. This is all Old Testament stuff. So we conclude, we can conclude that there was a Christ expectancy among the people of Israel. His coming was a vital part of the fabric of Jewish existence. And to some extent, still is. 
It was called the messianic hope. And it has become synonymous, I think, with hope and deliverance, not only in the Jewish culture, but in many cultures. Mm. You know, when you think about the New Age, they talk about the cosmic Christ, the coming of the cosmic Christ. You know, they got nothing at all to do with Christianity. But somehow that word Christ has filtered into the psyche of humanity and it comes under the sort of the, the, the title of deliverer. The deliverer is going to come. The cosmic deliverer is going to come, says the New Age. You want Christ? There's Christ in all different types of religions. It's, it's, the, it's synonymous with hope and deliverance. But Jesus... For us, you who are gathered you, we can see it so plainly in the scriptures that Jesus is the fulfillment of that messianic hope. But he came to his own, and his own received him not. But God the Father was pleased to own him and pleased to recognize his title. And again, it is that announcing angel sent from God who alerts us as to who this title belongs listen to what they say for there is born to you this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord now I believe that that angel spoke in Hebrew because he was speaking to Jewish shepherds you know, and if, he, if, if God had come to Galilee, perhaps I wouldn't have been so sure. Because Galilee was more of a cosmopolitan place. You know, it was closer to the empire. You know, and people were coming there. But Jerusalem was quite, quite sort of uh, traditional. So these shepherds would have been Jews. They would have been Hebrew-speaking. And therefore the angel would have said for you, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, Yeshua, who is Christ the Lord. It says it all, really. It says it all. You know, the word Christ in the New Testament and Messiah in the Old Testament refers to the anointing of one for service. You remember the priests? When they were brought in to serve in the tabernacle, they were anointed with oil. Remember the kings, when David, when uh, David was anointed by Samuel down there in Bethlehem. For service, they would be anointed. You know, but there was only one who became the anointed. And that word the sort of sets him apart. He is the anointed. Or as we saw in um, Psalm 2, my anointed, says God. See, this isn't, Jesus wasn't anointed by mere men, whether it be a king or a priest or a prophet or whatever. He was anointed by God. This is my anointed. Or we could say he is the anointed. Or as Psalm 45 says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God you are God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. You know, when we think about the companions of Christ, we see two of them on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses. You know, perhaps they would sort of um, 
typify all the companions of Christ in this role of redemption. And you and Peter made the mistake of lumping them all together. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You and God got quite irate. And he opened up the heavens. And he said, whoa, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Don't lump him with the others. I've anointed him above all the others. This is my anointed. This is the anointed. But we can see that Jesus was anointed for mission. You don't get anointed for fun. You get anointed for service. The priests served once they were anointed. The kings ruled once they were anointed. It's a, it's a mission. It's a role that people play. You know, for some people, it is the position that they long to, that they long for, that becomes the main issue. I'm king. I'm the king. I've been anointed king. But you see, it wasn't the title that uh, influenced Jesus. That wasn't the main issue. When Jesus left his position in heaven, that throne of majesty, he did so to do the Father's will. Not to become someone on the earth that people could look at and be in awe of. He came to do something because he had been anointed to do something. And that was his father's will. He came to show his father's glory. The service that he was anointed to do was on behalf of sinners lost. You know, and Jesus knew this from the very start of his public ministry. You remember that incident in in that synagogue of Nazareth when he, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You and you can imagine... The congregation, how proud they would have been. Local boy makes good. He's from Nazareth, you know. He's one of us, he's grown up with one of us. And here he is, standing for the first time and saying these words. You know, he's Joseph's boy, Mary's boy, reading the scriptures. Amen. You've seen him growing. But then he went and spoiled it all by saying something stupid like, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why? Because he's the anointed one. He's the anointed one. They didn't want him after that. They kicked him out after that. Because he is the anointed one. So what shall we call the baby as we come to the end of our uh, time tonight? What shall we call the baby? Lord, what are you going to call your son? Well, we're going to call him Jesus because he's our saviour. We'll call him Jesus because he is he will save his people from their sins. We'll call him Jesus because he will be great and will be the son of the highest. And we you know we rejoice in Jesus tonight. You know, don't ever be ashamed to talk about Jesus. Yes, we can talk about God. It's, it's, you know, legitimate. And, you know, and uh, God have done this for me. God have done Drop his name.
drop his name into conversations. Mm. Jesus has done this for me. Jesus saves me. Jesus has come into my heart. Jesus has died for me. Jesus has done all these wonderful things for me. Let's call his name Jesus. You know, and the old saying, which was new a couple of years ago, Jesus is the reason for the season. Everybody knows that now. But of course we can also call him Emmanuel. Let's call him Emmanuel. Call him Emmanuel. Why? Well, because we are so thrilled to know that God is with us. He's not against us. But he is with us. God in the flesh has come down to where we are to bring God to us. And us to God. Well, let's call him Christ. Because he is the anointed one. He is the deliverer. He has come to do the will of the Father. He has taken our sins away. Blessed us with his presence. And brought us the glory of God. So he's Jesus. He's the person. Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He has a position in heaven. And he's the Christ. He has a role to play. And God decided all this way before Jesus was ever born. 